0: word for us this morning. He was there. He was there with Daniel in times of trouble, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with Noah, with David, with Abraham. Church family, hear me. He wasn't just there, he is here. The Bible is clear that when we gather together in his presence, the Lord is with us. The Bible says Through the words of the psalmist, that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. So as we lift His name, He is among us. We who are believers carry within us, indwelt by the Spirit of God, a deposit, a guarantee of His coming again for us, the Spirit of God. And so today, He is here. Let me ask you a very simple question. What are you most passionate about in life? I know that this time of year, passions begin to flare about college football. I saw last night people putting on Facebook and through text and otherwise that they were having heart palpitations one way or the other. Blood pressure rising, spirits and countenances falling what are you passionate about? I I know that this time of year people get all excited and and passionate about hunting and and other pursuits. Maybe you're passionate about the holidays. I, I just couldn't wait for us to get past Halloween so we could start listening to all the Thanksgiving music, right? Isn't that what's next? No, we just skip right over Thanksgiving and Christmas is here. But, but what are you most passionate about? You know, when, when I think about f- the whole football passion and craze, I, I've seen this happen over and over again in my life. I have a, a dear friend who, while he was in college, was the manager of the team. And I will leave out all team names, but his team often played another team that I am particularly fond of. And he would call me because they always play the weekend of my birthday. Now, some of you are starting to figure some things out. Yeah, that game was played last night. But he would call me and say, I've got tickets waiting for you. We'll call, whether it was at his home stadium or the home stadium of the team that I like. And I would always go. But the one problem was that the tickets were right in the middle of the parents of the team for which he was the manager, not the team that I supported. And I'll never forget, there was uh, there were several occasions, but one in particular, I uh, the, the team that I was supporting, rather zealously and excitedly, I stood up and I jumped and I cheered, and I was the only person standing with about ten sections <laughs> of that stadium. And I began to look around. And a fella tapped me on the shoulder. And he was a great big guy. And he, I looked, and he was clad in the colors of the opposite team, and his wife was next to him with a button about that big with their son's face on it, and it had his football number. He was right down there on the field. And he looked at me and he said, Son, where'd you get that ticket? And I said, It was a friend of mine. And he shook his head and said, He was no friend of yours. <laughs> and for the rest of that day, he was in my ear. I mean, he gave me. I said, I'll stay at home and watch this at home. I don't need to take that kind of abuse and and pay for it. But it was just fun to be a part of. I I have seen strangers hug one another in football stadiums and high-five people that they don't know and get all excited in the zeal and the passion and the excitement of, of following our teams. What I want to talk to you today about is being awakened to love loud. I want to talk about a spiritual awakening, a, a missional awakening, a, 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 a Jesus awakening, if you will. To, to really consider what it means to live out our faith. And, and this was spurned by two things. One, uh, the president of our international mission board, Dr. David Platt, years ago, before he was in that role, pastored a church in Birmingham, and, and for a year they read a prayer together. And in just a few moments, we'll read that prayer. But that really excited me. I I was reading in one of his writings, so I borrowed this morning part of my outline from that prayer that Dr. Platt put together for the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham. But I also was reading this week, and I read the words of Jonathan Edwards. And I want to put this quote on the screen. He, He said these words. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher of yesteryear, said, Our external delights... Our earthly pleasures, our ambition, our reputation, our human relationships. For all these things, our desires are eager, our appetites strong, our love warm and affectionate. When it comes to these things, our hearts are tender and sensitive, deeply impressed, easily moved, much concerned and greatly engaged. We are depressed at our losses and we are excited and joyful about any worldly success or prosperity, But listen to these words. But when it comes to spiritual matters, how dull we feel, how heavy and hard our hearts. We can sit in here at the infinite height and length and breadth and love of God and Christ Jesus of His giving His infinitely dear Son and yet sit there cold and unmoved. I don't know about you, but let the weight of those words sink in just alone. I, I shuddered as I read that this week because I find myself sending texts and, and talking smack with other friends about football and, and other pursuits and being zealous about things. And, and I find myself excited when my team wins and depressed when my team loses. And, and worldly passions seem to just raise our level of engagement. And I had to ask myself, Scott, how passionate are you about pursuing Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and the things of God? He said we could sit cold and unmoved. Let's continue. If we're going to be excited about anything, shouldn't it be our spiritual lives? That's not a rhetorical question. That's a great place for you to answer. He asked that question, should we not, if we're going to be excited about anything, be excited about Jesus Christ? Is there anything more inspiring, more moving, more exciting, more lovable, more desirable in heaven or on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the answer for all of us should be a resounding no. There should be no pursuit of any worldly pleasure that is more enthralling than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that God would reach into our world and save sinners that are wayward and helpless and hopeless, not, not winning a national championship or a world championship or not taking home a, a trophy buck or not getting the steal of the deal at the mall or getting the sale of the century or getting any other worldly pursuit, ought we not be enthralled with the glorious good news of the gospel? And Jonathan Edwards in yesteryear asked that very question and left it to us to begin to contemplate this thought. We should be utterly humbled. Listen to this. We should be utterly humbled that we are not more emotionally affected than we are in the church. Now some of you say, Pastor, I I want to be reverent when I come into God's house. That is a proper response to the holiness of God, to stand in awe and wonder. But are we standing in awe and wonder or are we just being quiet? there's another response that we see in David he said I'll be more undignified than this and he danced before the Lord And I hear the words of a a popular song of the last 10 years or so, I can only imagine what would we do if we were standing today in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we dance before Him? Would we bow on our faces before Him? Would we lift our hands? Would we reach up for uh, a longing embrace? I, I can only imagine what we would do in His presence, but we don't have to imagine because He is here. And if Christ is here, what is your response to him today? Is this day an ordinary day? Is this day just another day to come to worship? Is it just another day in habit to drive to 1508 Hardy Street and go through the motions of religiosity and leave unscathed? My answer for Scott, at least, is this God forbid. As for me and my house, our desire is that we would serve and love Jesus this day, that we would experience an awakening to the truth that God loves us and that this powerful, almighty God who saves sinners wants me and you to join Him on mission. So I invite your attention this morning to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and while you're turning there, we're going to put on the screen, once you get there, we'll put on the screen this prayer that I mentioned, and I want us to pray it together, and then I'm going to give you some instructions for how now we will use this as the outline for the message. I gave you blank notes today. I want you to take notes, not write notes. I want you to use that, not to just doodle, but to really engage with the scriptures this morning. And so I want us to share this prayer together. Have you gotten Acts chapter 1? If, you, if you're there, say yes. Alright, if you've said yes, I want you to look back this way. I want us to read this prayer together. You ready? Let's sit up straight and read. Oh God, Awaken our affections so that we obey your spirit and surrender to your worldwide mission. Let's read it again. O oh God, awaken our affections so that we obey your spirit and surrender to your worldwide mission mission. Now, here's what I want you to do. Dylan, if you'll put that next picture up, I want you to use that in three different sections as the outline for today's message. So just put, if you're taking notes, jot it down somewhere at the top, oh God, awaken our affections. In the middle, so that we obey your spirit, and at the bottom, and surrender to your worldwide mission. We're going to draw this directly from the text. This is not from David Platt. It's not from that prayer. It's not just from our focus. This is drawn from what we see in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 as we see Jesus ascending back to the Father and leaving the Great Commission, leaving this focus of Acts 1-8 of us being a part of what he desires to do. So I want you to think in those terms. Oh God, awaken our emotions. That's our focus this morning. We're going to start there. Let's look together at this notion of being impacted. As I consider the words of um, Jonathan Edwards, I find myself thinking of this being so radically different than the way that we look at things here in the United States. My prayer for Hardy Street Baptist Church this morning is that every other affection, every other emotion, every other passion would would find itself subservient to an awakening, to a passion for the glory of God. That God, even this morning, would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to a kingdom focus. That we would be awakened to love louder than we've ever loved before. That you would live your life on mission. That you would no longer simply come to church you would be a part of all that God would desire, that you would abandon yourself, that we would abandon ourselves individually and as families, and corporately as a church, that we would abandon ourselves to advancing His kingdom right here in Hattiesburg like never before. I I want us to talk about what I would call a light bulb moment. Any of you ever had a light bulb moment about something in your life? It, the light bulb moments are literally now in the Oxford Dictionary. That phrase is a, a word in our vernacular. Having a light bulb moment. It, it comes from cartoon characters in, in which it was drawn that they had a thought, a revelation, an idea, and what popped up over their heads. A light bulb. The light just came on. It's like, oh, I see it now. I get it now. It is defined as this, a a moment of sudden inspiration, revelation, or recognition. What I want to to hopefully invoke today, and I'm praying that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and bring to all of us, is an aha light bulb moment, a a missional awakening. And that we would do something different in our day and in our age, in this faith family, that will have eternal worldwide impact. Look with me, if you will, at Acts, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once while he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, "'The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth.' After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud." While they were watching and they could no longer see him, after they strained to see him rising into heaven, two robed men stood suddenly among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. May we pray together. Father, I pray that you would add understanding and blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would help us this morning, Lord, to get a glimpse of your glory and that you would awaken us to love loud. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said... Now, we need to get a hold of what Luke is saying here. Luke wrote this book of Acts. This is the second book that Luke has written. He wrote the book of Acts after he wrote his former work, as we just read. He said, Theophilus, in my former book or in my last book. Now, any of you want to take a guess at what the first book that Luke wrote was? Luke, very, very good. We have astute Bible scholars in our midst this morning. Luke wrote the book of Luke. And in that book, he ended it in chapter 24 the exact same way that he picks up in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is ascending to the Father. Jesus is giving instructions. He has been resurrected to new life, and the apostles have seen him. It's critical for us to understand the growth of the New Testament church in its infancy. It grew exponentially and it grew through martyrdom. Why? Because they said, we don't care what you want to do to us. You can do whatever you want because we know Jesus is alive. Because they understood clearly, they had seen him, they had touched him, they had spoken with him, they had eaten with him, they had invested time with him over the course of time between his resurrection and his ascension. I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today could get a a good refresher course in the reality that Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive, our churches ought to be alive. Amen? I mean, what greater news to tell the world that death has been conquered. I've spent a great deal of time with people over the course of my pastoral ministry who have feared death. Spent time last night with Jerry and with his kids. They they have no fear of death because they understand something clear. They know one who has conquered death. I have a a dear friend who got saved not long ago, and he recounted to me that as a child, as an 8, 9, 10-year-old, that he was scared to death of death, that that he couldn't sleep at night because he was worried about their house catching on fire. He was worried about some uh, storm coming, and, and he had had some traumatic loss in his life. He'd lost a couple of loved ones that were close to him, and he was fearful of death. I would imagine that if you're honest with yourself, at some season of your life, you have come to grips with fear over the idea of death. But Jesus has conquered death, and the apostles had experienced the resurrection, and therefore we see them boldly proclaiming Him as Lord of all. And we see them going to their deaths at times because of the sword and because of persecution, but the the focus of their lives was that they would live with Him forever. Now, I want you to see something that's very, very important. I want you to go back to verse 1, and let's really grab what Luke is saying here. There's one word I want you to see. Um, I want you to circle it, in fact. As you go back to Acts chapter 1, he says, In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began. Uh, I've put it in bold red letters up here. I want you to circle that word in your Bible, unless you're looking at your iPhone or your iPad. Don't try to write on that. Or if it's not your Bible, don't write in somebody else's without permission. I want you to circle that word. I want you to look at that word with me. Jesus started to do some things. In the beginning, those things were started, but he's going to continue them. The implication of the book of Acts is all the way through Acts 28 that those things that Jesus started are going to continue. But here's what I want you to see. In chapter 1, something unique happened. We just read about it. Where did Jesus go? This is audience participation time. Come on, church, get with me. Where did Jesus go? He went back to heaven. He ascended to the presence of the Father. There were angels there that said so. Why are you staring at the sky? Why are you looking upward? Jesus has been taken from you to the Father. So here's my question to you. If Luke is saying to Theophilus and to us, I'm writing to tell you about all the things that Jesus had begun And now I'm writing about the things that Jesus will continue, but Jesus is no longer in the picture. You see, after this verse in chapter 1, we hardly see Jesus through the book of Acts. We, We understand that he appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, but throughout the rest of it, we don't see the Lord Jesus Christ, at least physically on earth. So how is he going to continue? This is the whole point of my sermon this morning. Everybody look this way. Jesus uses his people, his body, his church, his bride to continue what he started. And Acts 1 and Acts 2 show for us the beginning stages, the launching pad, if you will, of the church. And you and I stand in that faithful stream, and we get to be a part of it. And we will see together this awakening happen when they realize that Jesus had a plan and a purpose for them. Here's what I want us to do. As we look at this idea, Jesus is the driving force behind the mission of the early church, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it wasn't just a movement to overthrow Rome. It may have started that way in some of their minds, but now it is a movement spiritually to see people for the glory of God radically surrendering their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ to experience His salvation. If Jesus is the driving force behind this awakening that happened in their lives, and they began to love loud, if we'll use that language, what I want to see is from the very beginning of the mission, it wasn't a program, it wasn't some um, plan that they put together, a project that they were going to accomplish. It was the person of the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of them. It was the Spirit of God. I want us to see three characteristics this morning under this notion of our prayer that God would awaken us. Number one, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. In verse three, it says, after he suffered, he showed himself. He he is the risen Savior. We have account in the New Testament that he appeared to over 500 people. Oh, that we spent a little time this morning in apologetics, which means defense, defending the resurrection. Everything about our faith rises and falls with the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. Would you agree with that statement? If Jesus has not been raised, Paul said, we should be pitied. We're fools. We should lock the doors and quit giving money. We should save our Sundays and enjoy time on our own because there is no hope. But in the resurrection, there is ample hope for the entire world. And there's hope for you and me. There's an overcoming of the fear that we might have in the presence of death. It's not new. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow death he could sing the song that Mary Laura sang you you were there you were there and for you and for me when we get a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus it ought to give us a light bulb moment you ought to say aha you see the worldly pursuits of football and hunting and shopping and whatever other worldly pursuits your grandchildren your 401k it doesn't matter what those things are your job performance All of that melts away in the presence of the risen Christ. Jesus has been raised from the dead. That was a great place for hallelujah. It's still a great place for hallelujah. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. If we can't get excited about that, we might as well close the doors anyway, whether it's true or not. If you and I don't live it out, if we don't look like we believe it. I I know far too many Christians who are saved and they look like they're mad about it. Jesus is risen indeed. He's the risen Savior. We see it several times in this passage, but secondly, I want you to see this. He's the exalted Lord directly from our text. We begin to see this notion that Jesus Christ is for us not just the resurrected Savior the risen Savior but He's the exalted Lord He ascended into heaven where He is at the right hand of God the Father and He was giving gifts bestowing grace upon His people. He is the exalted Lord. It's the same picture we get in Philippians 2 that He had emptied Himself and yet He was exalted and one day every knee will bow this was huge in the, the, the early church. They were about to face difficult times. And in facing difficult times, they recognized Jesus is sovereign. Nothing came into my life that had not first passed through his sovereign hand. So if you're in Las Vegas or in Sutherland Springs, Texas, Jesus is still Lord. He's sovereign over evil. He's sovereign over difficulty. And, and I shared this Wednesday night, and I won't belabor the point, and I understand that they were facing trauma, but there was a lady in the hospital that had been a part of that shooting last weekend, and she said these words to a reporter. She said, I often go to that church, and my husband doesn't. And she said, this morning, he begged me not to go to church. And here's what she said, I wish that I had listened to him. Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, you you would say, well, I, I, I'm I fearful to be here this morning. I'm fearful to be in a group of people. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you, you say, I'm just not sure what this world is coming to. Well, I can assure you it's not a what, it's a who. We know what this world is coming to, but it's it's because of who is coming to this world. The world is coming to its end, which is in Jesus Christ. The gospel will be preached to all nations, and the Bible says then the end will come. And it's the end of all the other kingdoms of the earth. Every kingdom of this world will be folded into the kingdom of our God and His Christ. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. At that point, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so for you and for me today, we don't have to shrink back in fear. We can have a missional awakening, an awakening to love loud and say, I, I'm going to go to church. I, I know people who are scared to death to get on airplanes because they say, I, I, you know, I, I just don't know that I want to fly. And I've said, well, you know, what if it's not your time? And they say, well, I understand that, but what if it's the pilot's time? it's the pilot's time it may be your time (laughs) my life is in the sovereign hand of God my days are numbered in his infinite mind I I don't fear death I I don't charge out looking for it. what I need to do is die to my old man and live for him allow him to live through me He, he is the risen Savior, and He is the exalted Lord. But let's continue on and see one final thought. He is the coming King. I love this, this picture of these two angels. As everyone is staring, I mean, can you imagine the scene? You have seen Jesus ascending into a cloud, gone. And everyone is staring, everyone is looking, everyone is amazed. And these two men say, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? What are you staring around for? Jesus has been taken from you to the Father, and he will come again. You see, I can't be more positive in my preaching than just exalting Christ. And when I look at Acts chapter 1, these 11 verses that we have read, my heart is over flowing with the thought that Jesus, the risen Christ, Jesus, the exalted sovereign Lord, is the soon coming King. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until He comes, we go. Until He comes, we are called to go. He said, you will be my witnesses. And so you and I need to have a light bulb moment this morning and say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go. Wherever it is that you want me to go. Let me just talk turkey for a moment, if I can, with our church family. We desperately need you. We need a lot of folks to show up. I need some folks at 3.30 this afternoon to meet me and Scott Alexander and other leaders, deacons and staff, in the fellowship hall. We're going to talk about how you can serve. We need people serving. I believe to be a healthy Christian in this day and age, you need a ministry inside the church and a mission in the world. I think you need to find something that you can do here. Whether it's greeting or ushering or singing in the choir or helping in the office or being part of security or changing diapers. And some of you say, that is not my spiritual gift, Pastor. That's fine. There are other things to do. We need folks that will help serve meals on Wednesdays at noon and at night. We have a lot of folks that don't come to our noonday meal because they don't want to be a part of the Joy Club because they think that's for older folks. Well, guess what? I'm a part of the Joy Club. Some of you are saying, yeah, I know, Pastor, you're old. Well, that's, it is what it is. Look out, Scott Pittman. That's the the most misplaced amen I've heard all morning. I haven't gotten them when I needed them, and Scott Pittman's gone, amen, the pastor's old. I give up. When we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ, it ought to motivate us to say, no more am I just going to show up. No more am I just going to be here and let other people serve me. Uh, on Wednesdays, we've been studying through a study that's called I Am a Church Member. And last week, we talked about being a, a a unifying church member that is functioning and using their gifts and their abilities. We need a lot of folks. And I believe if we're going to reach Hattiesburg, I believe if we're going to reach the Pine Belt, it's going to take us stepping into roles of service where when people walk up, they are so overwhelmed with a sense that you actually believe that Jesus Christ is risen. Cause when you come and you sit and you soak and you sour you don't look very much like Jesus is risen in your world now I want to say on the flip side I'm not trying to beat you up and say you ought to do this but, but you ought to I want to encourage you by saying thank you, those of you that are serving. There are so many faithful, godly servants that do things. When you got here this morning, somebody made coffee. Somebody probably brought donuts somewhere near your class. Somebody turned the lights on and they turned the air on and they made sure this place was vacuumed and they printed bulletins for you and they prepared lessons to teach you in Sunday school the Word of God and they greeted you at the door and they've helped you in different ways or they played instruments or they sang. They're multifaceted functions here in the body and i believe that the vast majority of the folks that serve don't serve out of guilt or compulsion they serve out of a love for the risen christ who is their sovereign lord and who is their soon coming king let's move forward very quickly to our prayer our time is just about out we may have to pick this up next week the first part was "O lord awaken our affections why so that we may obey your spirit say that word those words with me so that we obey your Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God, if we were to go on into chapter 2, we see Pentecost happening, and they waited and power fell upon them, and we see an amazing sight. In chapter 2, it's a very familiar passage. They hear in their own heart language the message of the gospel. They see flaming fire Uh, that tongues of fire that and and they hear people that could not speak languages 30 seconds before could speak known languages this wasn't gibberish this was known legitimate languages and God brought together a powerful thing oh I wish that we had just a, a little while to investigate this Pentecost 50 days after the Passover it was a celebration feast and they gather together, but it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament. We, see a, a, we hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. That takes me back to Ezekiel. In the valley of dry bones, God draws those dry bones together and he puts sinew and flesh on them and connects them together and breathes his spirit into them. We see the wind, the, the breath of God. And then we see fire. If we were to go back when the Pentecost was a celebration of when God gave the law, And when God gave the law up on the mountain, we see that there was fire there. And the people were frightened, terribly afraid of the presence of God because of the fire. And here, they weren't afraid. They were drawn to it. You see, something new happened in the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God rested upon people. And now, He would rest in people as He indwelled them. And the Spirit of God indwells believers and that ought to be a light bulb moment. You go, I have the spirit of the living God in me. And he gives me the ability to do two, uh, three things. To obey God's commands. This is just right there hopefully in one. Yes, I, I got them all together. You may want to scribble them down. The spirit of God helps me to obey the commands of Christ. The spirit of God helps me to fulfill all of God's purposes. And it ultimately leads me to the place of, of experiencing God's presence. You see, the Spirit brought them together and now they are in the presence of God. What a powerful thing. Oh, that we would get a dose today of the truth of this reality. We don't need some emotional experience. We just need God to awaken our senses so that we would obey the Spirit of God and then ultimately we would surrender to the worldwide mission of God. There's our prayer. Oh God, awaken. Awaken our affections so that, why, we would obey your spirit and that we would surrender to your worldwide mission. Church family, I'll close with this. Some of you have no joy in salvation. You are not living out the level of privilege that you have. I want to invite you today to just contemplate the risen Christ who is the sovereign Lord, who is the soon-coming King. And I want you to surrender yourself to the Spirit of God so that you recognize that only He, through His power, can enable you to experience the presence of God, to fulfill the purposes of God, and to obey the commands of God. And for some of you who really see yourself distant from God, far from God, perhaps today you need to trust Him. Your light bulb moment is, You mean God who died on a cross, really was raised to life so that I could live? Yes. And today you can be saved. I want to encourage you during this invitation time to let God have his way. I I, I don't want us playing church anymore. I want us to have a missional awakening. This community needs us to love loudly. This community needs us to know. they, They need to know that Jesus is alive. And the only way they'll know it is if we show it. Because His Spirit through us is cooperating in this. Jesus began these things, Luke said, and now He continues them through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to come to the altar and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do right here through this church? And what mission in the world do you want me to be a part of? Let God have his way. We're going to have our prayer team down front, our encouragers. They would love to share with you. Whatever decision you have, they want to pray with you and take God's word and just spend time with you and encourage you. And so I'm going to ask them to come forward as our musicians do. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And while you're standing, I'm going to pray. Father, we pray even now that you would have your way in this service. Bless this time, Lord. I pray that there would be light bulb moments in this service that we would leave forever changed. And I pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.